You're listening to Tov, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, it is John Spirasavet and Dan Ross. Hey, Dan. Hey, John. It's good to see you again. Always a pleasure to be on Tov with you. It is. It is such a pleasure. We talk all the time, and we we study Talmud every week, and it's. Uh, <laughs> so weird to do but this as an official recording it is weird I, I always wonder what would happen if people were listening in on our weekly chavrut but i'm you know in this instance um i'm grateful to talk to you about some other sacred literature as always yes <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking of the opposite of this saturday night live thing that i i think i may have mentioned to you or someone on the podcast where it's about a father and son who have trouble communicating and then they they discover that they can record a podcast. And so you see them with the, Oh, uh, I love the, that. With oh. the microphones. It's like, I think it's Kyle Mooney and I forget who's the, the other <laughs> the one. only way that they can talk to each other. We'll have to link it. Yes. But yeah. You and I thankfully can just talk, <laughs> but, but here we are. And so appreciative to whoever is listening and being our, our other partner in this conversation through the podcast. We haven't talked about season four at all together. So no. this gives you a chance. If you have anything new to say about who you are of these characters today in the spring of 2023. John, are you familiar with the Myers-Briggs? Personality. Familiar. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, the, the third T versus F, right? The thinking versus feeling. Mm-hmm. What, which of the two are you? Oh, well, uh, I mean, I guess I might have more of the thinking than average. I've never taken the tests. Oh, you, what? Okay. Well, after the, you know, after this, you definitely, um, definitely need to take it. I For fun? Say. Is there like a party slash escape room place where you can go and do Myers-Briggs? You know, you just find it. You just find it. You just Google like a, you know, test. It'll take you, you know, just a few minutes. So anyways, what I'll say is that like most of my life, I'm a hard T. And I think it's pretty fair to say that that cheaty is a T. But as I've grown more advanced in years, all 35 of them, I'd say <laughs> that I've definitely grown into more of an F which I think is what we see happen to Chidi over the course of this, over the course of his whole character arc in The Good Place. But in particular, in this in this episode, we see him arrive at a place where, at the very least, he grows to appreciate feeling in a different way. And it's yeah, happening. yeah. So, so where does that leave you with who to grow into? Of the oh, Chidi, definitely. I feel like... You want to grow I, into it. So it's a both? Yeah, I want to like, you know, I feel like the first time I did this, like I admired Eleanor for like, seeming because of her leadership skills but you know like so many of the rabbis who who join you we you know we very much relate to Chidi and his you know just I would say scholarly nature and I would say that like really if I had to kind of describe my moral aspiration being someone like Chidi in this episode I just was like so moved by his wisdom so what about you what did you think oh about like how would I how am I currently answering yeah Oh, yeah. It's interesting because I, I believe, I have to recheck my work, that I might have moved in a more of a Michael-y direction in terms of like this Michael after being cheaty, cheaty identifying mm. for so long. But uh, but no, I agree with you. This is certainly a kind of cheaty I am certainly incredibly intrigued by. Yeah. I was going to ask you a silly question, which is whether you ever still use a Blackboard 
in, uh, you know, at work? Oh, definitely not. Actually, so I used to be a a public school teacher. That was my first job out of college. And I had these blackboards in my classroom and they, they stressed me out. So what I would do is <laughs> I would go to Home Depot and you can get, I think it's called Showerboard. And I, you know, took it into my classroom and I just put up whiteboards basically like <laughs> over the chalkboards and like use dry erase markers in there. Like, because I just, the chalk just stressed me out so much uh. dust and the, you know, <laughs> and like writing on my, I mean, I, I also, I was blessed with very kind and generous students who would join me in my classroom in the morning, but to write like the, they make you write an objective on the board. And, like, I'd be like, <laughs> and they all loved it. They're like, all right, Mr. Ross, like, That's yeah. Very cheaty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So do you use a blackboard in your work? We have blackboards at our education building. And yeah. uh, so I do, I do use them. Oh, nice. Uh, I guess I like the, I don't like the, yeah, I'm not, I don't like getting the chalk stuff on me and it is kind of a texture. I guess I don't, I don't love chalk, but I do love the ease. Scratching. I, I do like, you know, the ability to erase and edit it's like a computer screen you can just knock something off yeah. without but yeah i also just have such catastrophic handwriting that like you know chalk just does not help <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, i write uh, better in chalk uh, I, I, yeah um, but it might be the situation it might be yeah. that i'm more careful in front of mm, fair enough fair yeah. enough yeah mm. well so dan give us the summary of this episode title right. summary Check. Chapter 48, The Answer, written by Dan Schofield and directed by Valeria Migliassi-Collins. Michael restores all of Chidi's memories with a snap from every version of his life and his afterlife. His philosophical quest began at the age of eight when he delivered a lecture to his parents to convince them not to get divorced. Yet immediately his obsession with finding a single right answer also caused indecision which affected his friendships, relationships, and career. In the afterlife, Chidi consulted everyone else at one time or another for advice. As he was about to have his memory erased for the final time before the new experiment, Chidi gave Janet a note for safekeeping, which he asks for when Michael wakes him up. It reads, there is no answer, but Eleanor is the answer. You get chills, John? I do. Yeah. I, I, this, this is got to be one of the most forking genius brilliant episodes yeah. i think i've ever seen of anything like in terms of a series an episode in a series it is just like on every level emotional stuff but just the ah the the callbacks the call forwards the references the the hilarious oh god this is a great episode yeah yeah it felt like it felt like this was an episode i mean obviously titled the answer that the writers were leading up to for a long time. It's like they had that note written in the same way that Chidi had that note written and, and gave it to gave it to Janet and knew that he would have to share it. He would have to pull it out one day. It's like they wrote that note at the beginning of the season and they planned for it to be pulled out. Oh, that's cool. I have I to don't say. know. We, <laughs> we could never get Michael Schur on the podcast. Maybe we could find out. <laughs> you know, I assumed, not that I think about this so much, that I can distinguish the style of different writers, but I thought mm -hmm. there was so much happening. And as you say, the weight of that title that I assume Michael Schur would have been the writer. And, you know, the people who have worked with him, who we've been able to get on, have all talked about what a great person he is to work with in terms of trusting people and collaboration and clearly for him to hand this episode to somebody else who 
who made such a brilliant piece that speaks incredibly about about mm. him as the uh, showrunner and the leader of this mm. group. Wow. Was there anything you like especially uh, laughed at here? Before we started recording, we were talking about the scene with, with Chidi's editor. <laughs> Chidi's book <laughs> removes Michael, the editor's will to live. And I was reminded of the episode, I can't remember which season it is, where Michael... <laughs> pulls out the book too. Yes. 3,600 pages. <laughs> and, you know, what I'll say, apropos, we were talking about this thinking versus feeling. When the editor, I think, says that great philosophy has feeling behind it. Mm. That was the editor who said that as a real, real essential teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And how that comes across in the, in the writing and the thinking mm -hmm. or drives it. So, so interesting. What about you? So I was going to say that Esmeralda, the soulmate oh. in one of the reboots, well, let me put, let me say it this way, is a certain possibility that that part of that joke in the taboo game might have come from me. Oh, I've mentioned this on the podcast before and uh, in different settings to almost everybody I know, but I don't I don't think that's actually true. But I've had for years this idea that I said I have to send a Saturday Night Live of a Pictionary game between like abstract expressionists, you know, Picasso, Kandinsky, where they just scribble stuff and the other one goes, you know, angst, ennui, you know, uh. <laughs> the kernel of an idea. But when she talks about blood, seas of blood, ennui, lamenting, there was something about lamenting. And, and that's her, those are her clues for birthday parties. That was, that was a hilarious. Oh my God. And then she, she dramatically throws the cloak over herself and storms yeah. out of the room. <laughs> I must to my ravens. <laughs> was that what she said? Yes. yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Why do you think she was specifically chosen? You know, I mean, a lot of this episode is about the notion of soulmate, you know, a premise of the show from the outset is that Eleanor and Chidi are not obvious soulmates, right? They, you know, they never would have met if Michael hadn't concocted this scheme. And obviously one of Chidi's great anxieties in life is finding a soulmate. So why do you think Michael imagined that Esmeralda would be uniquely suited to drive <laughs> Chidi insane? <laughs> Probably just the torture of, you know, he buys, he buys the premise, you know, so he's got to try to figure out <laughs> why, why, yeah. why, oh yeah. my God, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> well, we were talking before we hopped on to about Timothy Chalamet's bar mitzvah, mm. and, which, you know, I have no idea what the significance is, but I, I will link the TikTok where some young woman does a little bit of what, bat mitzvah in the style of, I guess, Timothy Chalamet, who I, I don't know well enough to, to judge, but it looks very funny. I did a little Googling, and apparently there is no record of Timothy Chalamet's actual bar mitzvah, though he is Jewish. Oh, well, we can change that whenever he wants. Come to Central Synagogue, as he New uh, York, or or to New Hampshire. You know, sure, sure. We, we, be more than honored. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the um, the pure funny part when when Chidi is asking Jason for advice. I guess that's around the time of Jason and Janet's wedding. And uh, first, there's Janet who says, you know, that, that we are registered at me, which I love. Mm -hmm. And then Jason is is tickled that Chidi asks him because he says, you're a high school principal. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then he says this like beautiful thing about here's, you know, here's this thing with stuff and something about how you, you know, most things blow up eventually. <laughs> so you got to lock it down or get sucked into the propeller of a swamp boat. <laughs> <laughs> which somehow he delivered a you know what is for for the good place a long speech with this delightful combination perfect mm-hmm. comedic combination of of an insight and a brilliant <laughs> a brilliant jasonism mm-hmm. wow so how did you feel about there was this thing about uh kids are idiots when michael and Chidi are talking about it wasn't the presentation itself that saved his parents it was the inspiration of the seeing you how dedicated you were that got, got them to see couples counseling. <laughs> yeah. And Chidi said, I had no idea that they, they did that. And yeah, Michael says kids are idiots. If they knew half of whatever is going on with their parents, they would lose their minds. I mean, it's true. We're both parents now. And when I think about, you know, what if Adina knew how much we worried about her on a regular basis, how frequently I checked the, the video monitor to be sure that she was still breathing. <laughs> <laughs> she's only one right so yeah Yeah. what about you what what about you not that you wish your kids but that your kids might not know about you oh boy i don't know it's probably the i was thinking more in our case maybe on the silliness oh okay although they do see i think they do see a good amount of that well i mean the silliness i i know it's silly that i you know (laughs) check the video monitors no i meant just you know silly (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, yeah, funny silly not (laughs) it would Mm -hmm. be crazy to do that yeah yeah (laughs) This isn't really on the level of funny, but I think that... Oh, actually, no, but this is on the level of funny. The suggestion at the beginning that they, Jason's, that as they're going to wake him up, Chidi up, they should give him some Duval ditch water, which is Midori coffee made in ditch water. And he looks at at Eleanor because she has a margarita. (laughs) I'm going to stick with the margarita, please. Should the movie Inception come out relative to this episode? I don't know. I was wondering, 2010, I was wondering if the slow-mo of Michael doing the snap was kind of a reference to Inception. The way that Chidi is reliving all of these memories is kind of like a dream state. And the idea that dreams move slower than real life. I don't know. It came out, but maybe not. It's almost matrixy. Awesome. Matrixy too. Yeah, it was a really, really effective use of slow mo. I have to say. Yeah, really, because the whole episode is told otherwise in flashback. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also brilliant that they had to intercut some stuff that we've seen with some stuff that we haven't. That has to. I assume they had to costume it and whatever to make it look like something they had shot mm-hmm. before. Wow, played it. Just the series of things they managed to to pull up. Like, so I was trying to remember this thing about the fork in the garbage disposal, which is a callback to something Chidi had said in the episode where the first time in season two to head off to the the good place when they tricked all the demons into leaving or whatever. And and Chidi says, "My brain is like, or my mind is like a fork in a garbage disposal." And <laughs> and thinking about all the things that he, you know fears and wants or or wants to want which i mean that that was such a great line Mm. back then and then to see that sort of hop up at Mm. the intersection of his talking about uh, wishing this relationship would continue that he just got dumped from Mm. and also that his quest even that thing at the you know obviously they start off at the beginning with his psyche is like a giant bowl of m&m peep chili which is probably one of my all-time favorites (laughs) how do you think that would taste uh, you know, I could, I, I'd take a bite of that. Probably yeah. 
one have bite. You ever peep, peep in a microwave? No. Have you uh, done that, it, Dan? It makes you feel like a sociopath a little bit. <laughs> Watch this, you know, peep, rabbit, duckling, whatever it is, kind of expand and explode and, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's Easter season. So, you know, I was walking through CVS this morning and I noticed all the peeps and I, I didn't take it upon myself to get a peep to um, destroy. Oh, might be a fun exercise. Yeah, we, we do not want to sound like this is what two rabbis think about Easter or Christianity. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, right. right. It just so um, happens that peeps are more present. I think you pretty much always get peeps, but peeps are more present in the grocery stores and drugstores these days. I think Chidi in Australia has shown us that the proper way to cook peeps is in a, a pot over probably a flame or an electric mm. burner. So, mm-hmm. you know, but, but use a microwave if you want. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> As you were talking about Chidi's enormous book, I think it sort of landed with me how when Janet presents herself to Chidi as the, as having all the knowledge about everything. I never thought about this that that she is sort of the book that that Chidi could never write in that sense, and that that itself would be a kind of torture. And then that that the torture is like, oh great, all the answers. Oh my God, what question should I ask now? That's going to become his. It, what do you get sure. about? Well, there's also something you know, as you said, that just made me think about the fact that it is Janet who gives him the answer at the end, oh. right? But it's the answer that he wrote himself. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That you kind of have to find your way to yourself in a way like that. That's pretty crazy. I, you know, I was also just kind of wondering, like, if we could get a copy of that book, would you ever want to do Daf Yomi on it? Right. Like, <laughs> like the Talmud <laughs> page. Like daily Talmud study. <laughs> <laughs> it's impenetrability <laughs> kind of, you know, indicates that that would be a possibility that that, that would be the only way to get through it. Oh, wow. Someone should write a version of that book, a fan fiction. A fan fiction. Chidi's book. And then we can actually, we need to ask ChatGPT to do it for us, right? Yes. Because it would take too long. That'd be sort of meta to have a, an artificial being write a book that was written by a character on a television. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What would Chidi do with ChatGPT? Well, actually, apparently one of its one of its superpowers is that you can give it complicated text and ask it to summarize it for you easily. I haven't tried it, but I'm I'm you know curious what would happen if you fed ChatGPT or Bard, which just came out yesterday or a few days ago, or any of these these large language models, Chidi's book, <laughs> and what the summary would be. <laughs> would the summary be there is no answer? Ooh. Eleanor is the answer. Wow. Hmm. Actually, that would be cool. We should ask it as ask one of these things as it is and see if they know enough to know that. Yeah. yeah. There was a call forward, which was when Chidi is talking, I think, with Jason about about his his inability to to do something without knowing the answer. And he says that he can't open a door without knowing what's on the other side. Mm. And just I just I imagine that they knew that that was coming in the finale. You know that they will go through a door to something they don't know exactly what it is. Yeah, but they, you know, he didn't have to open the door. He just had to walk through it. Yeah. A little bit different. Okay. Yeah. I'll accept that. Yeah. Yeah, but definitely. You want to focus us in any particular way? Okay, so there are a few texts that have come to mind. So first of all, I think that this episode is of a piece with, I haven't read the book yet, but I've heard the authors talk about it. 
which is this book called The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness, which is about this collection of Harvard students that have been followed for, for many years to figure out what makes people happy, obviously. And the one piece that just blew up from the data is relationships, is what is the good life and what makes life worth living. And actually, it's funny, at the beginning of the year, the New York Times had seven days of wellness resolutions, and they, they culled from this, you know, this research and, and talked to, it helped people think about different ways to cultivate their relationships. One of which I'll just share is apparently one of the most effective interventions that one can do in your life. I know that this is like such a a weird way of talking about this, but whatever, I'm just going to go with it. Joseph, just, just go with me, John. One of the most effective interventions to improve your happiness is to take the time to write a note to someone who is dear to you, who has made a difference in your life and to spell out in specific detail why you're grateful for them. Mm. And actually there was a poem that I heard yesterday morning that made me think of my high school French teacher because it was a poem. It was it's something about what you missed when you missed the day of fourth grade class. And mm. it starts with talking about the teacher, Mrs. Nelson, and the things that she teaches, like how to remember your grandfather's voice, that peeling potatoes is like prayer, and that I am is a complete sentence. Mm. And so I was compelled, my French teacher in high school, her name was Madame Nelson. She's the best, most important, most transformative teacher I've ever had. Sorry to all my other teachers who are hearing this. I don't, <laughs> for those of you who know Madame Nelson, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about here. And so I wrote her a note last night because I was just like this, this, and I sent the poem to her and I said, this made me think of you. And, you know, I'm just like so happy today because of it. And so just something to be thinking about going forward is just, again, an intervention a positive psychology intervention that one can do in one's life to, to make you feel better. And obviously, hopefully, upon receipt of the note, make the person feel better too. Wow. Wow. I was thinking as we were coming into this conversation that this episode, tying so many threads together, doesn't lend itself to you know, necessarily one specific textual thing, which is often what we do. And I also don't want to give the impression that I think that if something doesn't have a little tagline in a Jewish text, that it's not. Oh, I have text, Jewish John, but you should. But uh, I will mention, no, I, and, but yes. I was just going to mention that I, I, I went back to some of the thread through this episode goes back to chapter two, the second episode of the series, which you and I did. And there was this yeah. question of study and action, you know, the, the role of learning. And one of the things we wrote down at the time was this statement from Pirkei Avot. Ben Zoma says, who is wise or which mm. person is wise? Is the one who learns from every person. Mm. And, and sort of melding the learning. And the way that you're saying this now makes me think these two things. One is about it's it's not just to learn something from every person, but the the relationship itself is kind of part of the learning, clearly, mm. which I think happens to Chidi. Is I never noticed the first time through this episode how much he really deliberately goes one by one and asks somebody. And I love this layer that you're saying that it's not just appreciating someone, but but articulating that you know for yourself and to that other person, which does remind me again, not that this is necessary, but it reminds me of this other thing that maybe was Rabbi Akiva, who says the divine thing that that the divine did for us was first to create us in the divine image and then to tell us that we were created. Ah, yeah. And I love what you're saying because I think so many of these studies talk about how, you know, relationships are important and connections, but the intentionality that you're describing, I hadn't thought 
so specifically about and do you find that like people respond to that like it does it they don't say oh that's corny i'm not going to write my friends and no. Oh, I'm just starting to do it. And I think there was an, another podcast. I think it's I think it's Reply All, where they the two co-hosts did this for each other. <laughs> they wrote notes to each other. And they were just like shocked by like, you think it's gonna feel corny, but it's not. You know, it's like, oh wow, that that was really special. So do you think that like the first time you do it, do you go back? I mean, in the good place they they kind of do like we've had these cycles where every so often they seem to stop and you know the previous episode was the funerals and they did this for each other do you do this like twice with the important people in your life like or once a once a year <laughs> once every you know like once a month i don't know i mean it's something to it's something to just give a little bit of consideration to try it once and see how it goes and a lot of the point that that seven day wellness New York Times thing did was like talking about how when you reach out in a relationship, you're inherently making yourself vulnerable and it can kind of feel like you're reaching out into the void in its own way. And that 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 feels dangerous and unsafe. And you're you're exposing yourself to the possibility of, of pain. And, and really it's the pain of non-reciprocity. I haven't written to Madame Nelson in, in nearly 10 years, actually, I think. And actually she did, she did write me back a little, a little note, which was very nice. And so I, you know, I don't know, I don't know where she lives now. Maybe I'll find out. Maybe we'll start correspondence again. But all of that is to say that it, it's kind of like an act of faith. You, you have to think to yourself, well, there's any number of reasons why people might not respond to your outreach, but it's the power of the exercise of, of cultivating that kind of that practice of gratitude in and of itself that that makes a big difference in your well-being. Mm. So one of the things I think that intrigued me about Chidi in the episode is the relationship that kind of got crystallized <laughs> around the the jiggling fork between his desire for a soulmate and yeah. his desire for truth in a broad way. And he tried to describe to his girlfriend like the things that were perfect about their relationship, the ways their minds were aligned and things like that. And she was basically saying to him, like, that's not what it's about. It's not that you can make a list, you know, the way that he did on the blackboard for his parents. And and it kind of made me wonder whether what he was saying at the end is, okay, like, there's no answer. Does that mean, like, those questions he's pursuing in a philosophical vein aren't the questions because they don't, they don't lead to any answers or just that the context for any answer that you're going to come up with is going to have to be integrally this relational question and who who are those people in your life and why i think that what you just said makes me think about and i probably i might may or may not have quoted this idea before but rabbi jan katsu who's a teacher a professor at my seminary hebrew union college has this wonderful teaching about love which is john you can tell me all the wonderful things about Lori, and i can tell you all the wonderful things about jade we love people because they're human and blessed and created in the image of God. But, you know, our relationships with those two people are different and it has nothing to do with where they grew up, what their personality is like. There's something mysterious, you know, more things in heaven and earth that make, although as I'm thinking about movies, Interstellar, I'm reminded of this scene where Anne Hathaway, this character imagines that, you know, it's a movie about the future of humanity and NASA and like going to look for to become an interplanetary species. And uh, she's the scientist is saying like, we will be able to measure love one day. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of a shame. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. I have a couple of other text thoughts, if, if you'll indulge. Of course. Me. So one is, is I'm sure we've talked about it before, but it's from Genesis, the description of the creation of, of Eve, God saying, Lo tov heot ha'adam levado, it's not good for a person to be alone. And that that being foundational to the answer in this instance. The other one, and I can't remember if I've, I've brought this text before, but there's a really wonderful midrash about God creating and recreating the world and but the world keeps falling apart yeah. until ultimately god creates teshuva which actually i originally teshuva meaning repentance and return as we've been using it and what's interesting about the word teshuva in this context is i you know i always understood it as the word repentance but it also means answer mm. in hebrew and so one could also read it, you know, that Midrash is saying until God created the answer, the title of this episode, and the answer to the question also, you know, just being what holds the world together is this, the fact that we all at our deepest level understood, understand that it is not good for us to be alone. Mm-hmm. I hope, I hope that, I mean, I think that to, to a certain extent, the definition of evil would be the sense that we don't need each other to live, mm-hmm. right? That we don't need other people. You know, the, the exploration here goes on a couple levels in this episode, because the kind of torture version of that is that Chidi believes from the start that there's such a thing as soulmates or whatever. He, he's wanted it, it. Like, it's not just that Michael told him that, but Michael reveals, like, I told you this partly because I knew this would torture you because you want this and you believe in this. And then Michael flings at him all these uh, soulmates. And I love that montage where where we get all the the proposed soulmates, including right. Tahani, which we know at one point. Oh, God. <laughs> that was, that was like just a, you know, such a great instance of pleasant surprise in the middle. Like, you know, you yeah. wonder which of the writers was like, we just have to throw Tani in there at some point, right? <laughs> Although they had that that thought in, in season one that maybe they were mismatched, that right, Eleanor and Jason maybe were the soulmates <laughs> and Tahani and Chidi were. And so that was nice. But, and then, and then wonderful Esmeralda. So anyway, how does he get to Eleanor, who's his soulmate? And on the one hand, there's a story, an iterative story, a Teshuva process of how they've gone back and back around. How many Baramis have gone through together? How many Baramis, yeah. And and that's sort of the, the path of returning to and sort of rediscovering the the source and sometimes learning the memories they had forgotten about their own relationship. And, and actually, which is what Michael says about the parents too, about Chidi's parents, which is that you help them do teshuva in the sense of you help them go back and find some answer in terms of what they wanted because you reminded them that they wanted to be together or they loved each other, you know, in a certain way. And so there's that. And then there's this other um, level because this design of kind of the whole thing, because we now know that part of what has made this process work in the good place in the show is that there's these like total reboots they're still who they were but there's some other version of who they were and they get to go back and try to be so chidi is having all his reboots all his teshuvas kind of superimposed on top of each other but in a way so is so is michael because this uh, this whole montage that we're getting is kind of a mashup of a little bit from this spare me and a little bit from that bear me a little bit from this reboot and a little bit from that one and i don't know what i'm trying to say i think that there's a part of renewing the world daily which is i think the another text you you mentioned to me as we were corresponding it made me think that in a sense in in our tradition we think of god as doing teshuva by recreating the world 
every day or whatever, continuously rebooting this thing, not necessarily by changing it directly or, you know, dramatically, but I don't know, I was sort of playing around with that. Sorry, that was my usual going around in circles. No, I mean, I, it's really interesting. You, that's a, a line from the morning liturgy from the Periodzer or this idea of God. And we talk about ourselves as being God's partners in creation. And in that, in that sense that we are the instruments of that creative energy that constantly renews the world. And by the way, this kind of just makes me think to our point of talking about this idea of like reaching out to people that you haven't reached out to in a while, or just reaching, you know, reaching out to people that you reach out to every day, that every single time you do that, you're creating a world, a space between you where God can dwell and, and can, if you have a theology like mine, where God dwells in the relationships between people, that kind of core love of, of human beings, of other humans. You know, everything that you're saying makes me go back to some of these foundational teachings about Teshuvah or the concept of going back and that, you know, my starting point had been in Maimonides and that you sort of go back to a place of decision or a place mm. of act and that you find yourself in a similar situation and you think about yourself and what you did. But what you're saying is that part of really a long-term happiness is to go back, is to do Teshuvah by going back to people who actually are important to you, have made you who you are, and that you have to actively go back, not because you're trying to repair something necessarily, but the act of appreciating. You need to be reminded. Yeah. And just that and appreciating is, and that gratitude is is reminding yourself. It's not, it's not filling a deficit always, although it could be, but it's also preventing you from dropping back. When I, when I work with wedding couples and I ask them, you know, when I talk to them about their ketubah and who should the signers be, and I, I can't remember which, which rabbi was it. Either Rabbi Elise Frischman or Rabbi Nancy Weiner taught me that the signers should be the people who will hold you to account for the terms in your ketubah. They're going to be the people who you would turn to when you are really struggling because you're making commitments to each other that are hard, <laughs> right? About, you know, your shared life. Hopefully they're not too hard, but, you know, like you're, you're making a declaration of values. So thinking again about how those relationships are so deeply core to our ability to, you know, we exist as you said, like people who remind us who we are. Sometimes we need to be reminded of who we are and our, our fundamental goodness, our tovness, as it as it yeah. as it were. You know, I, I'm thinking about the the good place as a series in this particular episode. As it's not telling us a thing we've never ever thought before no. in terms of that, but it is giving us the architecture of of how to do that in a way that that leads one towards. I guess, towards wholeness. And that's what I just think of this episode was so, so beautiful. And also because it, it really, it layered on, obviously we've got Chidi and, and Chidi's parents, hilarious start, you know, the yeah. he'd like a different name. <laughs> <laughs> but, and you've got this core relationship with Eleanor, which is, you know, the, what he says is the answer, the teshuva. But then you see him pay attention to all the relationships, certainly the good place relationships but then you know you've got the glimpses they, they threw a little bit in the in the quick flashbacks to henry the lying about the boots guy and mm-hmm. and but his friend is there was his friend i think uzo in the school when he's you know about should we sit you're really smart 
no, I caught that. Just, you know, Uzo is a liquor, I think, that I like. Oh, okay. Anyway, so I, and is that the same friend, by the way, who's the the best man in the... I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah. yeah pretty sure that's um, the same. Yeah, you get each, like, really, like, you have the whole constellation of the types of relationships. And some of those are, like, one-time things. Chidi lived, you know, once through that iteration growing up and that. And then there's these, the, the multi-Baromi relationships. And it's just so beautiful the way... And it's some of these are things that just happened. You know, Chidi presents his thesis and gets a smack on the head and then there are these intentional moments where he asks mm. you know tahani and and i love that they came up with something new for her to say you know confidence comes from failure mm. timothy chalamet's bar mitzvah party for instance yeah <laughs> yeah i i love that i i have a question for you so if i remember correctly so so chidi says about this note that he gives to to janet that it's some of the best writing that he's ever done. And so the phrasing is, there is no answer, but Eleanor is the answer. And I was just wondering if you thought, you know, cause it's become cliche at this point to a certain extent, this idea of the yes and, mm. and the, the picking up the, the and from, from improv, like the first rule of improv is this yes and idea. Did you do improv, John? I always wish I had, but. I, I, not like formally, only like as an activity and an activity. some activity. other you know, conference or something. Okay. So I, w- I was wondering if there were in a sense, I, I can't remember whether it was like game of Thrones or some, some other, when you put button a sentence, nothing that comes before it matters. Mm. But I was wondering if they were kind of playing with this idea, because you could have phrased it and mm. Eleanor is the answer, but they wanted to draw that contrast for some reason. And if it's some of the best writing she's ever done, it has to be exceedingly intentional. So I, w- I was wondering if there's anything you would read into that word choice there. Yes, we are going to mine the word choice of a conjunction for all it's worth. <laughs> I have to tell you that I have this idea as we are recording, we're, we're looking forward in, in a matter of weeks to the 75th anniversary of the founding of Israel. Ah. And I had this, I've had various ideas about how to mark that by some kind of project, maybe involving 75 Hebrew words and... Mm. So I was talking to a group of people who I know were learning Hebrew and said, maybe one way to do this would be for everybody to film a little bit, presenting their favorite Hebrew word. And this one woman who has come back to studying, reading Hebrew, like late in her life, said that her favorite word is aval, aval, which means but. (laughs) It never would have occurred to me to be somebody's favorite favorite word. (laughs) And uh, so uh, shout out to Deborah. Yeah. My, my first language apropos of Madame Nelson was was French. My first second language <laughs> was French. My second second language is Hebrew. My Hebrew is not very good, but I, I beg always, to differ. I always, always, when I get to a conjunction, either aval or may, which means but in French, that's when I switch between the two languages. <laughs> as, soon, as soon as I get to that, you know, one side of the sentence, the other side of the sentence, oh, now I'm thinking in this other, yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to, I, I, I wanted to bring the question to the fore more than I had yeah. an answer to the question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one is, I think, you know, it, it could be a sign of just thoughtful writing in the sense of that that and thing has become too cliche mm-hmm. that they wanted to 
to mix it up a bit. But the other thing is, I think it, it made me wonder about this whole thing about about cheating and, and whether that that is the strong butt of disregard what's coming before. So I mm-hmm. guess I mean that in this way. Chidi is the philosophical seeker by means of thought and reading. And uh, what does he say? If you read enough books and think hard enough, that's what he says at the very start in the classroom, well, before deciding whether you should sit next to the pencil sharpener or do something else as a principle of seat choice. And um, thinking back to the classic Talmudic question, which we talked about in episode two about is Talmud or study greater or action greater ma'aseh? And Rabbi Tarfun says action is greater and Rabbi Kiva says study is greater and the rest say study is greater when study leads to action, which is a nice synthetic, I guess a nice, a nice yes and. That's the and version. And I guess what I'm sort of wondering about is the whole reason they're waking up Chidi now is because they want him to develop a system, a philosophically coherent system for running the afterlife. So they don't want him just to fall back in love with Eleanor. That's not enough. So does this mean that the necessary condition for him to to do this other thing is to get clear about his bond there? Because I don't think they can be saying like his whole quest is wrong, you know, is fruitless because, you know, misdirected because it doesn't lead to an answer. I... I think that what you're getting at there, give me a second to formulate the thought, is Chidi before this episode, Chidi before the show, would have looked at someone like Eleanor and said, you are not savable. Your intentions are always wrong. Not only that, like, and whenever you do anything good, your intentions (laughs) are always wrong. Forget that most of the time you're doing bad. And so the place that he's arrived at this point is that someone like Eleanor, who had he met her, before the afterlife Hmm. (laughs) would have been irredeemable potentially or not worth his effort is now everything. And, and so he is obligated by bond obligated by a bond that has a moral weight to it, but also inspired by that bond Hmm. to come up with an afterlife system, a philosophically coherent afterlife system, as you said, that will, you know, be, a place that not just the Chidi's of this world who think on these questions, mm-hmm. but the Eleanor's of this world, like, you know, a, a place that beautifully blends this study in action. I guess the and at the end of this is like, there's no, there's no answer now until yeah. he, until he reads his note that he had arrived at. And then he's finally ready. Like he's written, the reason the book is 3,300 pages long is that he hasn't really been read, ready to write it. And he's ready because, this is, as you were quoting his, his visor, saying that, you know, there has to be some heart in it. There is such a thing as a great work of moral philosophy, but it has to have heart and, and has to be built on love and connections. Until you have that, you won't be able to really do it. And I was thinking about how Chidi's quest doesn't actually start with philosophy at all. It starts with with social science. He's reading this mm-hmm. textbook about divorce. And then this the lecture he gives is not a philosophical one. It's a very pragmatic one it's not theoretical physics and it's not neuroscience but he Mm -hmm. sort of concludes from the modality i guess of questioning and communication that leads him to philosophy but it's not pure philosophy that's going to let him do his role in saving Mm. humanity i love that observation it's to your point about you know where does wisdom come from it can come from anywhere Mm. 
but I think what you're saying is it's got to be built on. I, I loved how you responded to that. That it's built on. It's got to be. It's got to be built on this prior work. And and interesting because you know he has been longing for a soulmate as long as he has been longing for the answer to everything. Yeah. You know, I think that an unanswered question is whether it's interesting that someone whose answer should be their most, you know, the, their most prized answer for, for a, a child who's worried that his parents are going to get divorced, mm-hmm. that that his yearning for a soulmate, I, you know, I wonder whether he thought his parents were soulmates. Mm-hmm. If we were to get psychoanalytic for a second, they certainly stayed together. Yeah. But, you know, and I, actually, ah, I have a thought here. Chidi knew the answer before he knew it at eight. Which is to say that he he knew it, but he didn't know it. He knew that in an ideal world, his parents would never have fought, right? If they were soulmates, they never would have fought in in Chidi's platonic world. But he knew that they did. And then he he proposed work for them. He didn't know the extent to which they went through the work Mm -hmm. to make a more fulfilling relationship that could last and endure. But he knew that their relationship could be saved through the work, the work as Michael talks about it. At eight. He had to believe it at the very least. Otherwise, he yeah. wouldn't have been able to give the presentation. I mean, it was such a beautiful statement that Michael made an answer to him right before the erasing of the memories about soulmates are made. You meet, yeah. you get a good feeling, and then you get to work building a relationship. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious, I guess, but it's it was so just so what a love and just the way that that was shared and it's just mm-hmm. so that whole scene you know the w- the way they redid that moment was was so beautiful and i was also really noting i think it, it was it was during this exchange where gd is asking janet for the notebook so he can write this janet has such a look in her eyes of concern and i guess really like it's concern but it's it's caring and concern and so opposite from the Hi, I'm Janet, and I know everything. In her first introduction, and and thought it was wonderful that it, it was Janet who, you know, was just named as the kind of torture of Chidi for all her knowledge. Who, in some ways, sort of gets you know how painful this is that he, in order to sort of pursue his larger quest, he's going to have to put aside the soulmate thing at the very moment that he's come to realize mm. it. You know, in this faith that. Um, that he's going to get it back. And he writes this note, which is like, you're saying a promise. It's almost like the ketubah for Eleanor. Like he, he maybe in some way knows or they have always, you know, they were just saying that they'll Jeremy bear me and we'll, you know, we found each other 800 times or whatever. Yeah. So let's do it again. Oh, you're giving me chills, John. Uh, it is just the whole thing. Yeah. Is just, uh, what a wonderful episode. Well, thank you, Dan. Great to talk to you about Oh, this. John. It's good to talk about the good place again with you and you know just you've done such an incredible job with this podcast and had such a great vision and i listen to every episode and you have the most wonderful co-hosts and thank you thank you for Uh, involving me in this project (laughs) thank you dan well we we were there at the start to help get this launched and we will do this again once or more before we bring this project to a close And that's all for Tove this time around. Thank you for taking the time to listen and allowing us into your day. Make sure you're subscribed on your app. And if you're liking the podcast, give us a good rating and a shout out somewhere. We've got show notes and other resources on Jewish ethics and concepts on our website, tovegoodplace.com. That's T-O-V. 
You can be in touch with us by email, tove at tovegoodplace.com, or on social media at tovegoodplace. Dan Ross is on Instagram with Jewish-themed workout videos, at R-A-V underscore W-O-D. And I'm John Spirisavet, online at rabbijohn.net, J-O-N, or at rabbijs3. Thanks again for letting us hang out with you. Now go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.